Welcome to Soccer Better Season 3. We're Liz and Laura Ellen. Liz is a lawyer and Laura Ellen is the scientist. We've put our education to use by digging into the analytical side of all things soccer. Each episode, we discuss a piece of soccer or sports research. Join us as we discover how we can all soccer better. We are back with episode two of season three of Soccer Better. And Liz, I'm just going to get through it. Ready? Political socialization and the coach created educational environment of competitive games. The case of grassroots youth soccer in Sweden. Oh my goodness. We must shorten the academic article titles. This is the hill I will die on. (laughs) What a hill. What a hill. hill. Uh, This paper was written by Anderson and came out in the wonderful year of 2020. People got stuff done in 2020. I thought it was People just... People did something in 2020. Who oh, knew? I thought it was just dumpster fires. My bad. All right. Well, we're no longer in 2020, Liz. We are moving forward. Here we go. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Okay. So, as the title indicated, this article and the research for this article took place in Sweden. It was published in the journal Soccer and Society. Uh, But based on the research of this article, I'm going to guess that this research was done pre-COVID because people were together during the time. And he doesn't talk about wearing masks. Mm. So, which I guess to be fair, and as a bit of an explanatory comma here, most from the time data collection happens for the vast majority of research until it is published is often at least a year, if not more. So my guess is this research was done in 2018, 2019, if you're super lucky. So anyway, but here we go. So this article looked at political socialization and it took me actually, and I'd love your thoughts on this, Liz. It actually took me a little bit to figure out what they actually meant by political socialization. Um, so I, I thought maybe I would just read the definition that they have in the paper. Would that be helpful? I think it's sort of helpful. It puts it in context. We'll yes. get more we'll, we'll get more on my thoughts. But yes, please read the definition. We'll in. Okay, so this is the definition that is in the very first sentence of the paper. So here we go. Uh, so looking at young people's political socialization, By that they mean their formation of political identities, values, attitudes, and norms, their adaption to learning about and sometimes changes in their political culture of their community, for example, their club or local community. I'm not sure they met this standard, this lofty goal, whatever you want to call it. I just... There are some interesting things in this paper, and we will definitely talk about those, but I'm not sure that I actually saw the political connection. I think this is a lot more about um, how youths respond to different coaching styles. And I was, anyways, I don't know where you were going, but I'm diving right in. They Please. they interviewed a lot of kids. There were a lot of of. Uh, kids involved in this so there were what was it 24 boys and 24 girls and they were between the ages of 13 and 16 which i like how close the age group was 
And then when you get to the end and they have actual quotes from these youths, the juveniles, I'm sorry for all the words, I don't know. <laughs> but they just, there weren't enough quotes. I was really interested in more of what these kids had to say. And I sort of hope that they turned this over to the coaches who um, they observed for different plays, but they were all volunteer parents, every single one of them. And I think that would make a huge difference in maybe how they do general coaching or they have coaching standards in Sweden for this age group. I, I, but that's where I felt that this went. I don't feel like I really got the politicalness of it. I mean, you can, you can shoehorn it in there, and they certainly did. And they said democracy at the end, which means they got it done. But I'm not <laughs> sure that they did it well. Liz brain snark. Um, right. I'm not sure that political socialization was the right term. Right. I think I I think based on the definition that I just read, I think I can more clearly see the connection with the questions that they asked and the results that they had based on that definition rather than this idea of because I think political I think the term political has a whole bunch of um, associations at least for me as the reader, that I'm not sure are based, you know, and it doesn't say, well, this is School of the Humanities, Education, and Social Sciences. So I don't know if there's, like, which is where the author is from. Um, So I didn't know if it was, like, sociology, that there was some theory that political socialization as a term yeah, I it's mean, used, you know what I mean? Used in like maybe. a unique way. Because when I hear political, I think, well, I think of the dumpster fire that was 2020. So, um, but at the end of the first paragraph, they, what they're talking about, or at least what they're trying to get to is the connection. They're trying to connect and understand that role, that the role of soccer may play with greater society. Um, and so can interactions and the formation of what happens on the soccer field connect to what's happening in broader society, which, right, like I think some of the articles that we talked about in season two, so folks should definitely go back and take a look at that, connect, you know, can connect with that. And I think there is an argument to be made that soccer is reflective in some ways of what's happening in larger society. But I'm not sure what they did here met that goal. I think they would have needed twice as many pages, which quite frankly, I would have read. (laughs) I would have read all 34 pages quite happily with the caveat that I wanted their sentences to be one third shorter. So they had very long, complicated sentences. And guys, I'm an attorney and I read legislation on the regular and they could give these legislators a run for their money on convoluted circular logic that gets back to a point that they said in the first 10 words. My goodness. I have so many comments <laughs> I want to insert here, but I'm going to hold them all inside because I don't want us to... 
uh, go down the road less traveled. Uh, ooh, there's a literary reference for you. Um, or maybe the the road uh, not wanting to be traveled. Right, it's not the road that we should travel. I think everything that you said... The non-soccer better road. The non-soccer better road. Everything that you've said has been absolutely correct. Political has a certain meaning. I think that they wanted to find that meaning in their research. I think that they found other really interesting things that I would love to focus on. And I think a great way to get into that is to talk about how they broke up the coaching styles that they saw. So they had one that they identified as growth, where it was all about inclusion and there was a focus on the process of soccer and the way in which the coaches interacted with their teams on the field and at the way in which they interacted with the, the referees. And then there was selective coaching, which optimized, it says it optimizes a team, but really it, it optimized winning and focused on putting forth the best team possible. And for kids this young, we can all understand why they got to the end conclusion that that was problematic. But those were the two styles that they really delved into. So are we going to be focused on growth or are we going to be focused on uh, success? Yes, and I realized uh, after I turned the page is that I did make a note and this data was collected in, uh, or data were collected. Data is plural. There's your trivia fact for the day. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, So the data were collected in 2017. So there you go. I was right. Um, That it takes a while. So, yes. Yes, Liz, do you want to just dive into the results? So I guess... A quick, a quick backup to just quickly talk about the methods. So what the author did, they went and observed a whole bunch of soccer games. Uh, these are youth co-ed youth soccer games. Um, they did this huge consent process. They did some observations, and then they did follow-up interviews with some of the players. And uh, a reminder, these are youth players. Uh, and then they also, I believe they did follow they did follow up interviews with the coaches too. Was that right? No. Maybe, but they didn't really publish them. They were more focused on how the different coaching styles affected the youth players and how that then made them interact with what this showed them about society for extrapolation on how that would then um, influence them going forward, perhaps politically. Yes. Yeah, so uh, to clarify, just rereading this, um, they did not interview the coaches. They compared the player interviews with the observations of the coaches, which happened during the um, games. And so then what they did in their results section, which was what Liz talked about, separating out the, the two kind of different coaching, overarching coaching styles, was that then they paired up the they match the interviews with reflections of of the observations that they have of that uh, player's coach, if that makes sense. Um, okay, so Liz, why don't we talk about the growth apo- approach to coaching? What, uh, what were some of your thoughts about the growth approach to coaching? I mean, this is the approach that you would expect for uh, younger children. And I think that the, especially the 13-year-olds 
where you're trying to give everyone equal playtime, where the things that you are um, hollering out to the field are, that's fine, you'll get it next time, you did a good job. Um, the deference to the referees where, you know, if you didn't, even if you didn't like a call, what you did was you explained to your player why the call was made and then you moved on. Like there, this is something that I think um, is really great for younger players where you have to understand all of the rules. And when you're playing a passionate game, um, it's important to have this kind of reflection. So not only was this about inclusion, I think that a lot of this was about reflection. Yes, I definitely agree. And I think, and and this is where, so after we talk about the different kinds of, of coaching styles, um, I just I just have so many thoughts about kind of what this looks like from a practical perspective. Um, but yes, I very much agree. I think this was, <laughs> reading this, you think about the leagues or, or the, the children's leagues that I've heard about that you're... You can only say as a parent, as a spectating parent or spectator, I guess, in general, um, at the games, you are only allowed to say positive things and you cannot call out any player individually and you just have to support. No one is keeping track of goals, right? These are where the curmudgeon people are like, this isn't sports anymore. How can there not be a winner, right? This is very much what this like reminded me of. Of the okay, let's let's grow to. I mean, it's a growth, but let's let's develop and increase our skills collectively, and let's have a good time, right? Like, let's have fun, right? Let's let's learn. An, yes, let's learn and let's have fun, and I think that I think that in and of itself, right, is such a critical thing, right? I'm not a child development person, but I think like having a safe space where kids can have fun and can learn something new and can interact with other children, I think is just so critically important. So I loved reading this. I found it to just be like lots of fun to read it. I was like, oh, this feels like very idyllic. That's, that's, that's what it sounded like to me. So then what did the selective coaching style make you feel, Laura <laughs> Ellen? Uh, the selective coaching style, I uh, thought back on my days playing soccer. I was like, Oh, yes, I remember these coaches. Um, what were know, these coaches like? <laughs> yes, so the selective style was um, very much results-focused. And I think what's interesting to me, and and I'm sure you experienced this also, right? So I'm a scientist, very much results-focused, very much outcomes-focused. Um, you know, so did you get the grant? Did the paper get published? Did you, like, are you presenting at the conference, right? Like, what is the outcome? What is it, like, how do we focus and how do we get that outcome, right? That's what's important, right? You need to have the the CV, which is like a fancy resume. How can you get it to be as long as it possibly can be? How can you have the most accomplishments? That's what this reminded me of. And when you're thinking about 10 to 16 year olds, I'm like, these are, these are children, Right. These are children and we are like pushing them. And this is going to get a little mm, controversial. Right. But we're like pushing them into this like capitalistic, pro like producing mindset so early. And I don't think it's healthy. 
Um, but then this gets in, anyway. This gets into a th- something else that we'll talk about. I'm getting like really excited. She is um, getting my nervous. eyes are getting really big, and my hair is you know I'm looking like the um, what is that the Einstein photo where his hair is kind of like all over the place. That's right. That's what I look like. But just this, if you needed a reference. I mean, but I think this is the the political aspect of this. They were saying that if you are doing the growth style, that it is more democratic. It is about the greater good. It is about togetherness and following the rules. Whereas they felt that the selective style was capitalistic and it was you are out for the the best results, the highest producing things. And if someone got left behind, then that was their problem because they couldn't keep up. Um, I think that also in the interviews, it was really telling that in the growth style, when they did the interviews and they asked about something the coach did or said, those uh, individuals were very much in agreement about what those steps were. Oh, yes, I understand why my coach did that because we're very focused on everyone getting a chance to play. Oh, yes, I know why my coach took me out because I was already getting upset, and that's probably for the best because I might have punched somebody. Um, Whereas on the selective end of it, when they had the interviews, there was a lot more disagreement. And I'm not saying that that disagreement is wrong, but it was just very... It was such a contrast when you read them right after reading the growth interviews. So, you know, two girls were interviewed and the one says um, that there is no difference between the players. The other girl's like, yeah, that's because you get a play all the time, so you don't know. And it was this confrontation that they sort of resolved by the end of like the three questions that we looked at, but you could feel it. Um, And I think it was, it just, I mean, it very much reflected the coaching styles and the need for, especially at these age levels, you have to have some kind of balance between these two things. Um, I don't think either one was purely good or purely bad. Um, what what do you think was something good from the selective, Laura Ellen? Yeah, I I think I I think you just touched on it, right? It's it's not clear. And the author doesn't present it in a way that one style is superior to the other style. It, it's, it, um, at least my take on how the paper was written is that it was just kind of like descriptive. Like, and I think there's a role to play. And, and this is where it circles back. I want to circle back to something that the author wrote in the introduction of the paper. So the selective style really benefits the players who uh, indicate or demonstrate some kind of skill early. Um, And so the players who have, uh, who are especially quick or who demonstrate some ability as goalkeeper or to take corner kicks or whatever, you know, that they're the players who, you know, and one of the examples was I think a, a penalty kick was given and one of the players was like oh coach can I take it and coach you know coach was like nope so-and-so is going to take it and so I think I think for those players right I think there is a benefit to the you know selective coaching approach because their their skills are being further developed and this was something that I thought about and um, in the introduction of the paper there was this uh, kind of, it was almost a passing comment almost, but um, that there 
with the globalization of soccer and the commercialization of soccer, right? You have these big academies where players are identified at, a, at an early age as, as to having some kind of soccer skill. And then they're like really, they're given a lot of resources. They're really poured into to develop those skills. Um, and there was a comment about child labor. And I was like, oh my God, it like hit me in a different way. I was like, wait, is this like child labor? Because then I was thinking about what is the ultimate benefit here, right? Like the kids are playing for the eventual benefit of the spectators and to make money for the, and anyway, then my mind went down a very, so maybe that's like a conversation for another day. Maybe we can we'll find, find an, an article, article. About, about child labor and soccer. Oh God. But anyway, so, so in that context, right? Like the young, right? Young Messi was identified very early by Barcelona, was brought from Argentina to um, Barcelona, was given high quality medical care, was given, you know, the growth injections that he needed because of his, um, you know, uh, disability that he had, right? And, right, he's arguably the best soccer player of all time. Um, and so like in that context, it's like, yeah, the selective approach is better. I think the question that this raised for me, other than the child labor stuff, the question that this raised for me is at what point does the selective coaching approach become beneficial and for what players, right? Because I think there is a benefit to having older leagues where it is more of a growth mindset where it is more you know that high schoolers like through 18 or whatever can have more of this growth mindset can just enjoy the process can have fun I mean I remember playing um rec soccer in undergrad you know we had games that would start at midnight right which right now I can't even like fathom that right we would be out on the turf with the lights on um playing at midnight and it was just you know, we had so much fun, right? Yes, we, like, wanted to win, but it was just all of us just, like, out there having fun, ignoring our homework, right? Just, like, it was this collective thing. So, anyway, that was very long and very rambly. What did you think about, like, the benefit of the selective versus the growth approaches? I think you picked up on it when you said that there are different times and different uh, individuals that the coaching styles will be right for. And I think it's important to recognize um, when, if you have a child who is in one of these leagues to make sure that they're matched up with the right coach so that they get the benefit that they need. Just because a coach is super intense and is a yeller and puts a lot of pressure on this, the individual doesn't mean that 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 kid can't handle it, doesn't thrive under it, can't continue to grow. Um, even if they're second string, you know, maybe they're just a backup player. But if it's someplace where they thrive and they get something out of it, it doesn't make it wrong for that individual. But if you see that your your child isn't thriving under that kind of regime, you should feel free to 
find a different coach. I think that we need to make coaching um, more available for, or I guess we need to make soccer more available at different levels for different students. So I, it's when I didn't play soccer, um, where I grew up, it was like baseball. So in the summer I played baseball, but like you had no choice about which team you were on. You had no choice about switching if something went wrong. Um, you were just really stuck with where they put you. And I think that we're probably doing a huge disservice to our children if we don't give them some kind of choice. Now, I'm not saying that you get you know full autonomy because that brings up a whole other issue about your parents care more about winning. And I mean, just, of course, there are other things. But let, like, let's just talk about the vacuum of supporting your child. You should be able to say this coaching style doesn't work for my child. That coaching style is something that I would prefer to see my child participating in. And you should be able to, you know, switch to someone with that coaching style. Um, I think it just really that that support, making that available is kind of a big deal. Also, I just, it was amazing to me some of the quotes they pulled out and the interactions between the referees and the coaches who I had to constantly remind myself were volunteer parents. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Betsy, that's a lot. There are some intense people in this. (laughs) There was one that... I literally laughed out loud as I was reading it. I don't think I'm going to find it. You can hear me ruffling my papers. But the uh, F word was definitely said. And I... Anyway. And then afterwards, they interviewed the kids. And the one girl... Or the one boy was like, oh, yeah, coach definitely coaches. I mean, not at us. Not at us. Never. Like, that's fine. And the other one's like, eh, once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, so, oh my gosh. That well, that I, definitely trickled down. Right. And I think and I think you hit on something that's so key and so import, important and that is parents, caregivers, guardians knowing and communicating often and well with your kid, right? In a way that you know, and and right you said it. If a kid is really has a skill and has ability and thrives under you know and is getting some special attention and playing time and all of that you know maybe there's benefit then to a more selective coaching approach but i th- i feel like if your kid is not having or even if they have special talent or ability but they're not having fun no right like and i and i think this is something where um, you know, I've, I've witnessed it kind of in my own life, right? Parents wanting to, or, you know, kind of with kids around me, um, growing up, parents kind of reliving, wanting to like live through their kid, you know, being like, well, you, you didn't have the opportunities that I had, or, um, you know, my soccer career didn't go so far or my sporting career didn't go as far or I didn't work as hard as I should have. So you must work as hard as you should and as hard as I should have. Right. Like it, it becomes this like very tricky thing about, you know, really just supporting your kid and what they're interested in. At the same time, I think there is some some benefit to you know making a commitment and sticking with that commitment like for the duration of the season or whatever that is if as long as it's not you know unhealthy for the kid but that's getting into a whole bunch of other things 
Most um, importantly, it's getting into yet another reason I'm not having kids because those decisions <laughs> sound hard. Yeah, it is. It is hard and it's tricky. And yeah, I yes. Mm-hmm. So Liz, based on this article, how can we soccer better? I think we need to give more resources to our coaches and meet them where they are for their current coaching style, especially when they're involved in youth sports, but also help them develop some of the other skills that they're going to need for those youths who do not um, flourish under their default coaching style so that they can recognize it and maybe they can bring on an assistant coach or maybe they can have their spouse help them and meet those other students and individuals where they're at so they're not completely left behind or provide more op- more team options, which, I mean, if you're in a small town, that's not really possible. So I just think more tools for our coaches is really important. How about you? Yeah, I think tools for coaches. And I think what would have been interesting in this study would be to ask, to like go back and ask the coaches to self-identify, like, how do you, what kind of coaching style do you think, right? And, mm. and begin to understand or begin to get a better understanding of how self-aware some of these coaches are. Because I wonder if some of the coaches be like, oh, no, 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 I definitely don't do that, right? And, um, you know, I'm sure people had to do in, like, high school or college or whatever some kind of, like, speech class where you had to watch a video of yourself and you know take notes and you know give yourself feedback and things and I think that's really enlightening and that could be really enlightening for coaches if they're not quite aware of how they're coming across or oh did I say that out loud or oh god did I yell at the ref like that um you know is that really the example that they want to set I I don't know right you know in, in every coach and family and situation is different so anyway uh but yes i think more resources for coach i think coaches i also think more resources for caregivers of these kids to help that matching process and even some like communication tools or questions or prompts for caregivers and guardians saying hey you know that that can be helpful in facilitating that conversation with uh, the player, I think could be really helpful to to gauge where the player is and if they're in a on a team that matches what they want or not. You know, I th- I think that could be really helpful as well. So yeah, that's a good idea. I like it. All right, someone else should do it. Oh we're yeah, we're just here to talk about it and to give you homework every every week. We have new ideas for other people. The youths. The youths. Youths. <laughs> Got to get all those uh, consonants out. Thank you, Schmidt, for ruining my life. Um, Okay. Uh, Anything else, Liz? I mean, that was adorable. It's the best end. The best end. All right. Bye. Thank you to our host, the Beautiful Game Network. BGN covers teams across the MLS, USL Championship, and USL League One. Check out podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. You can follow us on Twitter at BGN Soccer Better. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Otherwise, let us know what you thought about this episode and be sure to share it with a friend. Remember, 
you can always soccer better. The music in our show is Empty Rooms by Booz Radley. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to USL, MLS, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.